We're in uh, Luke 14 tonight, continuing our study of the stories that Jesus told. And tonight we see Jesus go to a party. Have you ever been to an awkward party? Either you got there and it was awkward and never got better, or uh, something happened at the party, or someone came that made it awkward, or maybe it was awkward and you didn't know why, and the secret is that you were making it awkward. Um, Whatever the case, uh, some of us have often experienced something like this. What we're going to see tonight is that uh, Jesus has been to an awkward party. In fact, Jesus is the one who made it awkward. Um, He's quite adept at uh, crushing this dinner soiree we're going to look at in a minute. Um, And we may get the impression that this is the kind of thing that God's all about, ruining our parties. What we're going to see is, uh, in spite of that, what Jesus is all about is hosting a party. We're going to read our text together. It's Luke, uh, well, by together I mean you read silently while I read out loud. Luke 14, uh, 7 through 24. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exhausted. I said exhausted. Exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things. He said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he said to his servant, to Say to those who have been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. All right, let's pray together real quickly. Jesus, thank you for this word. We pray that you'd be gracious to open our eyes to, to see what you're saying to us. For those here that uh, have, find it hard to believe an ancient book like this can say anything, we, we pray that you'd be gracious to uh, reveal things in our own hearts about ourselves that maybe we don't want to see, and also some wonderful things about you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Has anyone ever heard of Kid Protocol? He has a VH1 show where he did it one time. Kid Protocol uh, bills himself the world's leading expert on crashing parties. Um, He, uh, for instance, once crashed the Oscars dressed as a chef carrying a lobster. He's not a chef, of course, carrying a lobster. He's known for elaborate disguises and elaborate performances. 
And uh, he shared in a, in a book once, or maybe it was an interview, uh, sort of his philosophy on the matter, how he goes about crashing these uh, aid list, invite-only type of events. He said, there's the upside-down guest list read. You actually practice reading upside-down, so you can read the guest list and say, you know that guy. Um, there's the fake invite. You get really good at forgery. Uh, there's creating diversions. Hey, look! And you run in. Um, but the fundamental principle, he said, is confidence. If you act like you belong there, you'll get in. If you have one iota of doubt, you won't. Kid Protocol is an expert at crashing parties. We see Jesus as an expert at uh, crashing, bringing parties to a crashing halt. Uh, maybe not crashing a party, but uh, ending its uh, fun on the spot. Well, what we see in our text, and even before our text, uh, in the first six verses we didn't read, uh, Jesus is invited to a dinner by a very important religious person. And uh, right away, Jesus uh, sort of cast a gloom over the evening, by uh, the afternoon, by healing someone, which sounds extraordinary, except for it's the Sabbath, which breaks their religious taboo. Not only did he break a law, he broke it in their house at the table. This is sort of like a chiropractor. You know, you're having a conversation with someone. My back hurts. The chiropractor says, well, why don't you just get up on the table while we're eating and I'll fix you. It's like that. It's that out of place, except for it's also wrong, religiously wrong for these people. So the evening doesn't start off well. And then Jesus proceeds to ruin the evening even further. He uh, goes on to critique the guest for the way they've sat around the table. He basically says, you guys are just jockeying for position. Uh, there'll come a day when uh, someone's going to shame you and tell you to get back in your place. He doesn't stop there. He's going for a complete ruin of the evening. Uh, he now begins to criticize the host for his guest list. And uh, perhaps out of desperation, one brave soul in verse 15 uh, grasps on something Jesus says and throws it out there. Sort of a, Maybe this is something we can all agree on. Uh, Blessed is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. This is sort of like, hey, won't heaven be great? We'll all be there. It'll be wonderful. This is sort of like, hey, the weather is bad. I mean, something everybody can agree with. And sure enough, Jesus finds fault with this too. <laughs> and, and takes him to task. Uh, Jesus is great at bringing parties to a crashing halt. Uh, and I think this is what many of us expect. We think God is out to ruin our party. That um, God is the great party pooper in the sky who uses his great power... There's infinite reach to reach into our lives and meddle and ruin all our fun. Um, and so it's no surprise that we, many of us adopt as our personal philosophy of life, eat, drink, and be married, tomorrow we die. Because tomorrow I'll have to deal with this God thing. Until then I'll have to maximize my fun because I really don't expect it to be much too fun, too much fun then. Uh, we assume that the God stuff, the stuff God has to offer is rather boring. Or demanding. And we'll have to perform for him. And if we perform well enough, we'll get into the secret society of God-like people. And they'll just read really hard books and listen to classical music all the time. Or something like that. It's going to be something boring. And uh, some people are smiling because that's exactly their idea of heaven. But um, the reality is, whether that's your, the way you sort of think about it as, an, as someone who's not a Christian, even us as Christians sometimes fall into this kind of understanding that what God offers is sort of boring. And if you don't believe me, then think about why you don't invite people to things. You simply think, when people come, they're going to come and be like, this is repulsive, or that's the most boring thing ever, and I'm never going to come back. And so we we ourselves are sort of afraid um, to admit that uh, 
maybe what God has to offer isn't the most exciting thing in the world. And other people's parties are even better. In fact, I'm a little jealous. I wish I could do what they're doing. What we're going to see tonight is uh, Jesus, who crashes, crushes this party, uh, really is out to throw a party. We're going to see that the kingdom of God is a fantastic party of grace. That's the main message for the night. The kingdom of God is a fantastic party of grace. We're going to ask a couple questions and answer them. That's how we're going to move along. What is this party? What's our problem? What is Jesus' plan? Okay. Well, what is the party? Because uh, after verse 15, when this nice fellow, this peacemaker, tries to appease Jesus, and Jesus launches into this story, what he starts talking about is a a party, a great banquet. Uh, we see that in verse 16. Man once gave a great banquet. Um, well, this is Jesus' idea of what the kingdom of God is like. We've talked about the kingdom of God for a couple of weeks, but what we need to get clear off the bat is, to, to Jesus, the kingdom of God, that is not only heaven, but what Jesus came to offer us even now, is like a party, a feast, a big feast. A blowout. Um, we just got to accept that and then ask some more questions. Uh, what kind of party? What kind of party is it? And, and I think what we see right off the bat is that uh, there should be great expectations around this party. This isn't some mild affair, something we have to do, like a family reunion. Um, rather, it's something, well, some of you are like, oh, I love my family reunions. That's because you're a nice person. Um, uh, we see this guy saying, hey, blessed, blessed is are the people that are going to eat in the kingdom. And, and Jesus uh, sort of jumps on that guy, not because he's saying, no, no, the kingdom is going to be miserable. No, he agrees. I mean, it's like a great party. Blessed, happier are those who are going to partake of this kingdom. We should have great expectations. This is going to be a great banquet. Scripture talks about this great banquet and this kingdom and these kind of terms all over the place. I could pick a number of passages to read, but I'll just read one. It's from Isaiah, chapter 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that's spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation. All right, that's a great party. I'm not going to talk about it at all, but just note a few of the features. Rich food. The best wine. And not just to, like, gradiate yourself so you can forget about real life. In fact, Jesus says, all that real life stuff, all the brokenness, all the sin, all the shame, I'm going to wipe it all the way. It will be gone. It will be remembered no more. Boring party? No. All kinds of people are going to be there. There's no boring. I mean, there's, this is going to be amazing. Uh, this is going to be a great banquet like you can't even imagine. That's what Jesus has in mind here when he's talking about the kingdom. It's going to be a great banquet. So we should have great expectations. This is going to be wonderful. And uh, along with these expectations, we see an invitation. In verse 16 and 17, uh, this man once gave a great banquet and invited many. So uh, the kingdom of God is not just a private party for a few select individuals. God, Jesus, and a few of his best friends. That's not the intention at all. He invites many, many people. Uh, how many is many? Well, we'll see as we go along with it. There's even more than many as we move along. 
that makes any sense. Um, now, in the ancient world, how this worked is you sort of have a two-stage invitation. I think, actually, we used to do this in our own culture a long time ago. Uh, you would simply send out an invitation, maybe through your servants or by mail. You would go around and say, I'm going to throw a party next Saturday night. Big deal, party of the year, come. And people would be like, okay, I'll be there. And then you'd go home and say, time to get this place ready. Got 275 people coming. Kill the, ha- you know, kill the fatted calf. Bring the wine up. Set the table. And then when everything's ready, verse 17, everything's ready, you send the servants back out and you go to the people that said they were going to come. You say, it's ready. Now it's time to come. Two-stage invitation. Make sense? That's exactly the way it worked. And um, so that's what goes on. And when they come back to the to people that said they were going to come, and they say, hey, come, it's going to be ready. What they're literally saying in that word in the Greek means keep on coming. By responding the first time, by saying you were going to come, you've already begun to come, even if you never left your house. So now that it's all ready, keep on coming, because it's ready. It's going to be great. Now we run into the problem. What's the problem? The problem is they don't want to come. And the problem is that we don't want to come. That we're slow to come. And we see in verse 18... All kinds of folks offering all kinds of excuses. Uh, and I think we tease here a little bit. We're going to tease. We're going to see some semblance of what I think is our problem. By saying our problem, I don't mean just you individually. I mean our generally, our culture, us as humanity. Uh, we have a problem, I think, when someone throws an awesome party and we're invited. And we say we really want to come. And then we decide to stay at home on the couch and check Facebook or, re- or drink icy light on the porch instead. Uh, there's something wrong. I'm not saying it's not time to do that. But generally speaking, there's something wrong. Uh, and, and I think when we tease things out here, we're going to see two things that are at the heart of the problem. One is presumption, and the other is our performance. I'll talk about presumption first. I'll explain these words. We see presumption in the excuses that are given. Now, by presumption, I mean sort of the attitude, the subtle but solid belief that I can go about my business, I can accept the invitation and then not go. And it'll be alright. I mean, I can put off the host and the invite and just go about my business and it's fine. I mean, it'll be alright. It'll work out in the future. That's presumptuous. There's it's an assumption. There's no way to prove that this is the case. You're just simply confident for some reason it's all going to be alright. And we see this in the excuses that are given here. It's not just presumption. It's very prideful presumption. Uh, I alliterated uh, in verse 18, we find the first excuser, and he's a real estate guru. They all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. We're going to find us that all these excuses are rather flimsy. In the ancient Near East, you would never buy a field not having seen it. In fact, we would barely do it now. Uh, you would know literally everything about that field. Everything, not just the size, but everything that was in the field, every shack, every wall. You would know the complete history of the field. Merely signing the contract would take years. That was that was the norm. And so for this guy to say, hey, I just bought a field, now I need to go see it. Um, at worst, the host, who hears his excuse, thinks, you're a liar. At best, he thinks, oh, okay, you like your dirt better than me. Uh, so, not a great excuse. It's insulting. Uh, secondly, we uh, we have who I call Plowboy. Plowboy has bought five yoke of oxen. That's a lot of oxen, by the way. And he has to go test them or examine them. 
Uh, this excuse, too, is sort of silly. Uh, the way you would buy oxen that day, there's two ways to buy oxen. You would go to the oxen dealership. Like, uh, basically, where you and a bunch of other people could see the oxen being used. They would go plow a field, and everyone would bid for the oxen. That was one way to do it. The other way to do it was say, hey, you got some ox for sale? Can I come see you do it? You'd literally give the ox a test drive. Um, sort of more like the Craigslist version of doing it. Um, now, what this guy is saying basically is, I bought some oxen, and I need to go test them. This is akin to saying, hey, I bought a car sight unseen. I need to go test drive it. So the, the logical result here is either you're an idiot or you're insulting me again. You just don't want to come, and this is a dumb excuse. I'm not reading anything into these. <laughs> these are just thin excuses. Um, and I think the host would be right to be insulted. Uh, the third guy is married man. And his excuse is perhaps the most ridiculous of all. Uh, he says, hey, I'm married. I can't come. And, and this is strange, because unless you just got married this weekend, why can't you come? I, I just sent a sermon to you two days ago, and you said you could come. Well, what happened? Did you just get married? If so, why did you, tell you, why did you say you could come in the first place? Um, it just makes no sense. And they really don't ask, for, I mean, they ask for an excused absence in some ways, but they don't really ask for forgiveness because what they're doing here is insulting. And, and this is where I see the prideful presumption. These excuses, I think, are insulting. But really deep down, they're just simply thinking, it doesn't matter what I say. I don't have to go. They could be thinking a number of things along with this. I mean, the party's not going to be that great anyway. Especially since I won't be there. Um, or... Uh, maybe he'll believe my excuse. Maybe he's an idiot. Maybe he'll believe this flimsy excuse. Um, or maybe over time the guy will simply forget about it and we'll move on. All of this is presumptuous. It's not respecting the host in any way. Maybe they think, this guy really needs me. He really needs me to, to like me, so he's not going to press the issue. Everything's going to work out later. It'll be fine. And this is common. Now, this is why I call it our problem. This is common. We do this too. We do this all the time. Our culture presumes all kinds of stuff. But we do it especially as regards to the invitation that Jesus gives us. And here I'm not speaking so much to people here tonight that might not claim any kind of affiliation with Christianity. I'm speaking more about people that sort of grew up in the church and have come to college and like, you know what, I can just sort of like lay this aside for a while. I, mean, I can just sort of lay it to rest because it's college, man. I, mean, I can pick this stuff up again like in the summer, unless the summer is too fun. Because then I can just pick it up after I graduate. This kind of stuff happens all the time. It's eat, drink, and be married because I got four years of college. And I can be responsible when I graduate. And uh, this is one of the great lies of, of college. And it is presumptuous and it's arrogant. And, uh, and we simply believe, you know what, it's okay because God's patient and he doesn't care. Uh, you need to look carefully and see God does care. Verse 24, Jesus basically issues a warning. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You simply cannot presume that you can just ignore God's invitation forever and do whatever you want, and he'll be okay with it. I'm not saying God's not gracious, but I am saying presumption is not very wise. That's one problem. The second one is performance. We'll move that through, through this one much more quickly. And we see it hinted at it in verses 12 and 14. Jesus has sort of uh, taken apart these men and the way they've invited one another and the way they're living, and he's basically saying, hey, here's, here's what I see with you guys. You invite people like yourselves, societal winners, uh, smart people, 
clean people, this is religiously speaking, uh, not the riffraff, not the outcasts of our society. And, and that's not the only problem. That's part of the problem, and he certainly addresses that. But I think what he's also saying is, you do this all the time, uh, always with an eye to payback. Uh, I think we see it in verse 12. do when you give a dinner or a banquet, you not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. And I think what Jesus is really getting at here is, naturally speaking, we can fall into performances where we have a ledger. I invite you, and you invite me. You do good to me, I must do good to you. You do bad to me, I must do bad to you. Before you know it, we've got like this big balance sheet accounting thing. And what Jesus is saying here is, this is naturally what we do. And if we're not careful in our social lives, we we'll actually think God's like this too. With the ledger. Boom. Good stuff, bad stuff. Got to pay off my debts. And Jesus basically says, your ledger's trash. Throw it in the river. Uh, that's not the way I work. It's not the way I work. Moreover, you will neglect the poor and the needy because they can't do you any good. And um, moreover, you'll be miserable. This, these are miserable parties. You're stuck with people like you who are only there because they feel like they have to be. They don't even want to be there. You don't want to be there. Jesus is saying, free yourself from this performance. Free yourself. Let's think about doing it some other way. And I think the tendency here is to think, this is the way we get into Jesus' party. Jesus is one of these, well, God's one of these nice, good people that have their stuff together. And so we have to perform and pay him back and so forth. And uh, the truth of the matter is, Jesus will not be held hostage by your silly ledger. You're good list, your bad list. He's not interested in you paying him back. You cannot pay him back. None of us is good enough if we had to uh, achieve our way into this party. Uh, what we're trying to do sometimes, I, I literally think, is we're trying to earn up enough credit where we think Jesus needs us. Like, you really do need me. I've been really good. And if I could name this whole parable like a children's book, and this is because I'm hard-hearted, it would be something like, Jesus doesn't need you. Jesus wants you. That's pretty good. What do you think? Um, I don't think that's my future. Um, so I want to speak for a moment for those here that identify themselves as Christians, as believers. If the Christian life doesn't feel like a party to you, I'm not saying it should all the time, skipping through campus. After all, it's not Point Park. Um, but... That's not a slam, it's reality. I just simply ask people, do people dance and skip around Point Park? They're like, yeah, there you go. If it doesn't feel like a party, ever, then I think part of it is we're stuck in one of these two things. We're simply living some other party and saying, God can wait. And that party really sucks, actually. I mean, it's great for a while, but then it's full of guilt and shame later. Or we're too busy performing, thinking, I really got to get into God's party. And we're miserable because there's no way to get in that way. Um, what Jesus is offering us here is a liberating way. He's simply saying, you want into my party? You can come. I want you. All i got to do is accept the invitation. And quit your silly efforts and stop making excuses. Summation. Let me bring this together before I end it. Uh, i got one more thing to say. But the summary so far is Jesus is offering us a, a fantastic party. The kingdom is a party. The problem is we really don't want it. And we're full of excuses. It's either... Um, too boring, so we'll wait till later. Or uh, we're not good enough and we can't get in. Something like that. So is there a plan for this? Is there a plan in this 
great offer of Jesus for people that actually don't want to come to the party. And we see in our text that there is, that the plan is grace. Uh, when the servants come back with the news that all these original people that had been invited declined, what does the host do? Well, the text is actually very clear. He's mad. He's, he's actually very angry. But he doesn't cancel the party. He doesn't postpone the party. Good on that. He doesn't have the party with the people that do come and say, well, there's going to be a big party, but uh, people cancel. And so what we have now is this pathetic, sort of small, disappointing party. Sorry, guys. Doesn't do that either. Could have done any of those things. I mean, that's what some of us would have done. Um, instead, Jesus is determined to have a party, a banquet. And he has a plan, and the plan is gracious. And what he does is he tells his servant, get back out there. Go into the city and invite everybody. Invite all the outcasts. And I'm not saying they're outcasts now, but at that time, the people he invites were outcasts of society. And this is the way Jesus works anyway. Uh, Invite all the lame and the blind and the cripples, those who have no social network whatsoever, uh, those who are overlooked, who have no societal capital, bring them in. And the servant says, we already did it. Good. That's great. Okay, keep going then. Uh, Go out beyond the city, out into the byways. Head out of town if you have to. Invite them in. And verse 23, the end of verse 23 sort of gives you the clue where where the grace is in this thing. Uh, Jesus says, as the host, uh, that my house may be filled. Jesus is determined. God is determined to have a full banquet. And I don't think we believe this. Uh, It's a common misconception that God is doing everything he can to keep good people out of heaven. Good people out of the kingdom. So that's the barriers. You can't come in. No one can come in. Some people sneak in because they're really good. And there's a secret society of like proper tea sippers that uh, just sit around and read books and listen to classical music or something. Um, and, sorry, I can't think of a better analogy than that. Um, and, and, and what the text is telling us is that's not the case at all. Those people don't get in anyway. There's no way to get in that way. Instead, God wants a big party. He's inviting all kinds of people. The problem is that he's trying to keep people out. The problem is we make excuses because we don't want to go. We're making excuses because we don't want to go. That's the real problem. And that's maybe true of some of us. It's certainly true of lots of people. Well, the grace continues. Not only does he want a full house, uh, but this party is free. And we see that in the kind of people that he invites. They have, you know, if this place charged a cover, none of these guys were getting in. They had nothing. And they had no societal capital. They had nothing to offer Jesus by way of honor, or reward, or compensation. In fact, inviting these kind of people would have actually been costly to him, because the neighbors would have been like, some kind of party you had there. Jeez, what a mess. Jesus absorbs that cost. He absorbs that cost in himself, because he's not ashamed to call anybody his brother. He dies for people like this. Um... It's free. It's a free party. You don't have to be special. You don't have to have resources. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It's the nature of grace that you come into this kingdom free. If you come through Jesus. Um, to keep the alliteration going, grace is full. It's free. It's fantastic. Probably that one. Um, actually, I couldn't think of a better word. That's why I'm going to use it. Because uh, in verse 23... Jesus tells them, or the master says to the servant, go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. Now, I have to explain this because the word compel is obviously troubling to some people. And I'm saying this is fantastic. Disconnect, right? Well, 
I think it's so fantastic. What's going on here is what Jesus is offering, what the host is offering to these people, social outcasts, people way out of town, what he's offering them is so fantastic they simply cannot believe it's true. They cannot believe it's true. That guy on the hill in the mansion wants me. I, yeah, I know that guy. I, uh, I, sh- I shoveled manure in his garden last year. Yeah. I mean, these guys can't believe that that guy would want him at their party. Uh, this is too good to be true. And th- we actually are familiar with this kind of um, reality. Just, I just read this last week. A, a woman, I don't know where she was from, received a phone call. Someone on the other side of the line, probably in the middle of the day, uh, said, hey, I'm from uh, iTunes, and you've won a reward. And she said, click. Put it down. She simply thought it was somebody else. She heard them say, you've won $10,000. And she simply thought it was too good to be true, therefore it couldn't be true, so she put it down. Her daughters heard it and said, uh, Mom, call back right now. They, they had actually won $10,000 uh, in iTunes rewards. Um, but all this is true in our hearts. There is a sense in which, you know, someone offers something that seems too good to be true, and you're like, yeah, whatever. It's too good to be true. Therefore, it can't be true. And I think it's exactly what's going on here. People out there are like, yeah, yeah right. That's really funny. He wants me at the party. And what Jesus is saying with compel is, no, don't like grab them by the arm and twist them and like shove them in. But you're going to have to take them by the elbow and walk them and say, you really do want to come to this. No, no, it doesn't matter if you smell. It's all right. Come on in. You really, you really are invited. He really does want you. Because we actually can't believe it. That Jesus, that God, wants us to be part of the party. It's too fantastic for us. Jesus is offering a fantastic party of grace. We often don't want it. We either think it's too boring, or we think it's too good to be true. Put those two things together. That shows you how messed up we are. (laughs) Okay? It's going to be boring. No, it's just too good to be true. I mean, that's the nature of our excuses. We just don't have our act together. We're full of excuses. I'm not saying... You don't have serious doubts and questions. Those things aren't legitimate. They certainly may be. So I'm not pressuring you to think anything here. Um, But what is clear here, I think, is that Jesus is offering us something very gracious and something very good, and this party is free. So maybe you you don't think this can be true. Maybe uh, somewhere deep down you're someone that thought years ago this was true, but now you're just sort of enjoying your own party. You're going to keep doing that. Or maybe you're someone here tonight that's... It's a believer, and he said, this is all true. And sometimes it's sort of a party. But um, you're right, I don't really want to invite people because sometimes I feel like the party's a little bit lame. Uh, whatever the case is, I want us to see clearly what Jesus has said. The kingdom, what Jesus is offering, what Jesus is bringing in our midst, is a free party of grace. And you're invited. And it's good, and it's free. And Jesus doesn't need you. He really doesn't. Jesus really does want you. And he wants you to come to his party. Okay, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for uh, being the kind of person that that, uh, brings parties to a screeching halt sometimes. uh, Because you yell to us in the midst of our discomfort and awkwardness that uh, you're offering us something very good. Lord, uh, I, I know it can be very difficult it's difficult for me sometimes to sort through all the conflicting things we feel and think. This is too good to be true. No, this is boring. No, I've got other things I want to do. Lord, I pray that you grant us wisdom and clarity of thought. Uh, I pray for those here that uh, call themselves believers, that they would know the joy 
uh, of this reality, that they would be freed from the performance trap, that they would realize that your grace is wonderful and free, it's party, and that this is what people are looking for, and they would be set free to invite others. And for others here tonight, they're like, oh, what a mess. Uh, don't know what to think. I'll just pray, Lord, you be gracious to uh, grant them perseverance to continue to poke around and maybe walk around the inside of this great banquet hall and see what things are like and see whether or not it's true that you really are the God you claim to be. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.